0: Alright guys, after two years, I'm finally here to bring you the premiere episode of the Film Effect Podcast, where we're taking all things film to the full effect. My name is Ed Snyder, and I'll be your host for this brand new series. Enough of the hype, let's hit the music and start this thing. guys, welcome to the show. It is a beautiful day outside. My name is Ed Snyder, like I said. And this is episode number one of the Film Effect podcast, where we're taking all things film to the full effect. Um, yeah, I- I'm excited about this. Um, it's it's the first episode. I- I f- it feels like I've been hyping forever. Um, it's actually coming up on two years now. I remember Easter Sunday we were supposed to record the first episode two whole years ago. Never happened. Finally, after some going back and forth with some potential co-hosts, uh, I ended up doing my own thing for last. I la- started last summer. I started doing my own thing with my daughter. Um, you might have heard of the show, the Mad Dad Movie Review. Um, but then as you might have known if you followed that show, I started to slowly branch out, and I started to feel like I was taken away from what was supposed to be our show between myself and Madeline. And it wasn't fair. It really wasn't. So I decided, you know what, what better time than now to launch this? You know, I've got brand new equipment. I've got a whole list of movies to talk about. That I know I would get pretty much nowhere with a thirteen-year-old. Take today's movie, for example. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 been um, it's it's been a wild two years to say the least. But uh, I could not be happier than I am right now to be doing this. Finally, I'm bringing this show to the full form, the full effect, the film effect. Let's do it. Uh, current events, uh, not, not a whole lot going on, you know, uh, the last, it's been a year now, pretty much, since our first case of this COVID. Now, I'm not going to start going into that whole territory and talk about that. That's that's not what we are here. That's not what I am here. In, in fact, I hate politics, and that's what I think this is to all snowballed into, Because at the end of the day, it seems like everything's politics, and I hate that. So, um, other than that, life's good. Been working. um, Started a new job as a stock boy, but, you know, stock boy, listen to me. 36 years old, I'm a stock boy. Uh, No, you know, times are tough, and work's work. I just pretty much took the, the... I took something, you know, something that pays. And uh, something that was flexible with hours and whatnot. And yeah, so I'm happy to be back at work um, doing this as well. Um, It's my passion, you know, so it's never going to end. So let's get into this. Uh, This is a segment I'm going to be calling the weekly recommends. This is basically a little section where i talk about what i've been watching anything i can recommend stuff like that um to be honest with you there's a brand new film that came out called the little things on hbo max in theaters with denzel jared leto and i haven't watched it yet but i do plan on sitting down and checking it out after i wrapped up this recording um i i I wish i could tell you guys that i watched it prior to this but i haven't um and i haven't really i haven't really watched a whole lot of new stuff um i've been going back and picking up some 4k titles but they've been older titles like i just got the do the right thing 4k disc that came out this week i just got that um Bad Boys One and Two, uh, you know the, the Kingsman movies, stuff that's been on sale. Apocalypse Now. Um, I've had a little bit of extra money, and I figured, why not? I didn't get my four play, K player for nothing, so yeah. Um, but right now, my recommends. Um, I just rewatched Nightbreed recently. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nightbreed. It's a horror movie from about 30 years ago that Clive Barker did. Matter of fact, uh, me and Mads did an episode on that on uh, our show last year. Uh, Check that out. Cheap plug. Um, I watched 10 Cloverfield Lane for my first time last week. Uh, I recommend that. That was pretty good. A lot better than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Um, I'm not quite sure why I held off on watching that for so long, but I'm glad I finally did get around to it because it is a pretty damn good movie. Um, Ah, I did pick up the Back to the Future trilogy on 4K. I recommend those movies. You can never go wrong with some Back to the Future. Um, But yeah, hopefully next week's show I'll have some more recommendations. But again, I haven't really gotten into anything new lately. So a lot of my recommends will be some older titles like I just told you. Alright guys, so let's talk about the film that I am here to talk about this week. A film that I hold very high standards, a movie that I hold near and dear to my heart. I am talking about the 1993 Tony Scott classic, True Romance.
1: From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2.
2: Hello baby! Clarence? I'm a married man buddy.
1: A con man. Ask him if he got the
2: letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? Hey, from you. No, no time. Tell him we gotta go. A call girl.
3: You call far day? Huh? Ah! I'm out
2: of She for alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing
1: in LA anyway? huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Kokati. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle. The man your son stole from. Now all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are sixty cops, forty agents, he's a wild man. is kid Clarence, I like him. Thirty mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. <laughs> and a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put it down! Put it down! Put it down! Put it down. Put it down. Put it down. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think
4: what you did I
1: think what you did was so romantic. Not since Bonnie and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad.
0: True Romance. Alright, so True Romance. Um, this is a movie that, like I said, is a very personal favorite film of mine. A movie that I have been a very big advocate for a very big fan of since uh, it's been about 20 years now um, this is a movie that came under my radar in the early thousands when I really got my toes wet in the movie side of things um, I was always in the movies but about 20 years ago I mean ironically enough when I started working at blockbuster that really opened up my eyes to a whole new, like, entry of movies that, like, I movies that I never went out and even gone out of my way to see. I was always taking home and checking out. This was one of them. This was no different. This is how I discover movies that I love today, like Shawshank Redemption, movies like Blow, movies like, um, I don't know, Goodfellas. You can even argue that, um... But yeah, this was a movie that I had always known about. Um, Might have seen it in my younger years once or twice. But yeah, when I took it home, um, because I think it was in 2002, Warner Brothers put out a special two-disc deluxe edition of this movie. And I remember buying it, and that's when I really got into this film the way I am into it today was after picking that up and watching it uh, for that first time. So, yeah, um, I love this film so much. Um, There's just so much about it that I'm going to be discussing in this episode. Um, So, yeah, true romance. This movie, not just me, a lot of people love this movie. Um, It is the movie that pretty much... Gave Quentin Tarantino a career. It is a movie that, I mean, the when I announce, when I when I break down the cast of this film, it's gonna blow your mind if you're not really familiar with it or if you're kind of casually familiar with it. By the way, I'm I'm gonna be spoiling this movie um, and and all the movies that I cover. So I hope that you have seen this film. If you have not, this is the time to pause it. You can come back at this point and and keep listening, but. I implore you to watch this film. You're going to love it. And then come back. Done? Did you do that? All right. We back. Um, like I said, it, it gave Tarantino a career. Um, it gave a lot of people um, a, a nice film to have on their resume. Because uh, um, it's just so many people. And it was made by big players. I mean, it's a Warner Brothers movie, first and foremost. Um written by, you know, first-time filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott, who, the late Tony Scott, um, unfortunately, we lost him in 2011, I think, is when he died. Um, but, yeah, he even, he was only 10 years into his career at this point. Um, although, one could argue, he's already had huge films under his belt, like Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, um, but yeah, by the time this film came around, if he wasn't up there as one of the all-time best filmmakers, he was with this film, this, this film put him up there, in my opinion, um, so yeah, True Romance, which came out September 10th, 1993, from Warner Brothers and Morgan Creek, um, let me tell you let me break down this cast list for you because it is insane so we got christian slater patricia arquette there are stars clarence in alabama then we've got dennis hopper val kilmer gary oldman brad pitt christopher walken bronson pinchot samuel l jackson michael rapaport saul Rubinek, james gandolfini Chris Penn, Tom Sizemore, Kevin Corrigan, Paul Ben Victor, Eric Allen Kramer, Lawrence Mason, and the late Ed Lauder. This is such an amazing cast breakdown. It is crazy how many people are in this. And many of these people in this film were only in it from one scene or two. That's it. That's the lovely thing about this movie, is that everybody gets their moment to have, really. Um, Except, of course, Arquette and Slater. They are our stars. They're in almost every scene, and rightfully so. This is their movie. Um, And, uh, yeah, It's, it's basically about it's a love story. We've got Clarence in Alabama who meet up in a particular way and they set off on a wild adventure basically they go from Detroit to California LA with a briefcase full of cocaine that they stumbled upon after a cross up that happens Um, again I will really be going into it Um, I'm just giving you the gist of what the film is about if you already know then you can just it'll be brief um. Yeah, they go on this wild crazy adventure to LA and thinking they're going to be selling these drugs to get a bunch of money to get away together and live happily ever after. Well, you know that's not the case. That drugs came from someone who wants their drugs or the money. Um, and yeah, big time people too. And it's, it, it's a wild film. It is such a wild film. All right, so this is a part of the show that I call story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story.
1: Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now, go.
0: I essentially am going to be telling a story of either my first time seeing it or just an interesting story that relates to the film. In this case, since my first time was already kind of discussed, the story I have for this is how Quentin Tarantino landed this job. So this was his script. He had written this in Reservoir Dogs and he wanted to make Reservoir Dogs himself. Tony Scott wanted to do Reservoir Dogs but he said, no, I want to do Reservoir Dogs but I wanted you to read it but I have this other script for you called True Romance that I would like for you to direct. And that's basically how it happened. He ended up selling his script to Warner Brothers Morgan Creek. The money that he got for that he went and did Reservoir Dogs. And like I said, if it weren't for this screenplay, if it weren't for this script, I don't think the man would have the career that he has today. Because obviously, you know, this is what launched him, essentially. Even though Reservoir Dogs came out the year prior, this film was in the making just as long as Reservoir Dogs was. Uh, Because like I said, he wrote them both together. So, yeah. Um,. And actually, I have a little bit more on that. So, it was a breakthrough for Tarantino. Like I said, released after Reservoir Dogs, it was his first screenplay for a major motion picture. And Tarantino contends that it's his most autobiographical film to date. He had hoped to direct the film, but lost interest in directing and sold the script. Like I said, he had more interest in doing Reservoir Dogs. Uh, According to his audio commentary on the DVD release, he was happy with the way it turned out. Because, okay, what that means is in his version of the screenplay, at the end, Clarence dies. Initially, he opposed the changing of the ending, uh, which Scott maintained was his own volition, not the studio's saying, I just fell in love with these two characters and didn't want to see either of them die. Uh, When seeing the completed film, he realized Scott's happy ending was more appropriate to the film as Scott directed it. The film's first act, as well as some fragments of dialogue were repurposed from Tarantino's 1987 amateur film My Best Friend's Birthday. So yeah, uh, Tarantino was a huge, huge um, player in the making of this film because it was from his brains, <laughs> basically. Um, So yeah, how about the breakdown? Here we go! That's the part where I'm going to break this film down. This is kind of uh, the plot going over similarly to with the way I do it with Mad Dad, but this is going to be more. You're going to hear it's not going to be just me like a robot running down the plot. I'm actually going to be talking about this stuff scene for scene. So the film kicks off with Clarence. Um, he's trying to pick up Anna Thompson's character Lucy at this bar. Um, this is the first thing we see. It's basically we're introduced to Clarence. He's this desperate, lonely type um, at the bar talking to a girl over Elvis because he's just obsessed with Elvis and it, she's kind of interested, kind of not. And then they share a common interest when the, if he had a gun to his head and he had to be, you know, fuck a guy, he said he'd fuck Elvis. She said she'd fuck Elvis, and he he mentions that they have a common interest. And um, then he mentions he wants to take her out to a kung fu movie, a kung fu triple feature at that. And that's when he starts to lose her. And it's funny because the thing I noticed about watching this again is the way he gets excited when he thinks that he's about to score a date – but then slowly begins to appear dejected once he tells her about the triple feature and she turns him down. Uh, she basically just says, uh, no. Like, just coldly shuts him down afterward. Like, you had me, but then you lost me. <laughs> and then we get this amazing Hans Zimmer score to kick off the opening credits of just some beautiful shots of cold Detroit neighborhoods. Um stuff we don't really see too often anymore in movies this is a real look at the town's kind of dark side but it's presented in a lightful sort of way with um, Zimmer's music that is just music to my ears it's so beautiful throughout this whole movie Uh, Hans Zimmer's score is an all timer it really is and then we get Clarence he's going to this triple feature by himself at the theater it is a Sony Achieva triple feature with Street Fighter, The Return of the Street Fighter, and Sister Street Fighter. Three movies which I own on Blu-ray. So whenever I want to and I have, um, this is actually a pretty fun triple feature. Um, I've done it myself. I can speak personally. Um, I own all three films. And uh, I, I wanted to be like Clarence once. Uh, it was last summer, actually, I did it. It was pretty fun. Um... One thing I noticed, and then uh, Bama comes in. She comes in with a big, uh, th- a big bucket of popcorn and candy, and she notices uh, Clarence, and then sits behind him, and then does anything she can to get his attention because she sees that he's just trying to enjoy his movie. And then uh, when she, I noticed when she comes over to him, she he gives this look, and it's like this is too good to be true. It's little things like that that I just adore about this movie. And so, yeah, she comes over, and she intentionally spills popcorn all over him. She lights up a cigarette when, you know, it reminded me of 1993, a time when smoking in theaters was certainly a thing. (laughs) And, um, yeah, they watch this movie, and they get out. It's after midnight he says and they go to a diner to have pie because that's what what Bama likes to do she loves going to have a piece of pie after watching a movie and talk about it Um, so that's what they do they go and uh, they have their pie at this point to me this movie is just too fucking adorable I love the interaction between these two and the way he's showing her so much and how we actually see her falling for him prior to them sleeping together um yeah they after they have their pie he takes her back to the his comic book shop where he works at but he has the keys so he lets her in after hours and shows her around and then they go back to his loft and uh to have sex to make love and it is a beautifully lit scene i love the blue tint going on here with the music playing um it's a lovely scene between these two and then she goes outside. He wakes up alone. She's actually outside, um, in the cold with the comforter blanket wrapped all around her, freezing, smoking a cigarette, and crying. And he goes out after her, you know, see what's going on. And that's when she confesses. You know, she's been a call girl for four days. He's her third customer, and that she's madly in love with him.
2: What is it you do? I'm crying. What I do? Did I do something? She didn't do nothing. What
4: is it? I have something I got to tell you. I didn't just happen to be at that theater. I was paid to be there.
2: you were paid to be there. What are you, theater checker? You get paid to check up on the uh, box office girls, and make sure they're not ripping the place off.
4: I'm not a theater checker. <laughs> I'm a call girl. You're
0: a whore.
4: No, I'm a call girl, and there's a difference, you know. Okay, here goes. You know the place you took me to last night? The place you work?
2: Uh, Heroes for sale?
4: You got a boss, right? Yeah. Hey, what's his name? Lance. That's him. He called the place where I work. He ordered a girl for you. He said he wanted you to get laid. seeing you didn't get out much, and it was your birthday and all. He wanted me to act like I just showed up. Now, how did he know you were going to be at that theater?
2: Uh, Well, I I go to the movies every year on my birthday. In fact, he called me up this week to find out what my birthday movie was going to be. You're not mad? Oh, man, I can't tell you. It was one of the best times I ever had. It was. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. I mean, I can't tell you how relieved I was when you took off your dress. You, You didn't have a dick.
4: Stop being so fucking calm about all this. Go look in your house. There's a note on your TV and all it says is, Dear Clarence, because I couldn't run anymore. So I just said, Alabama, come clean. And just tell him what's what. And if he tells you to go back to Drexel and fuck yourself, then go back to Drexel and fuck yourself.
2: Drexel, what's what's a Drexel?
4: Please shut up. I'm trying to come clean, Okay, I've been a call girl for exactly four days, and you're my third customer. I want you to know that I am not damaged goods. I'm not what they call in Florida white trash. I'm a really good person. And when it comes to relationships, I'm 100%. I'm 100% monogamous.
2: You stay with one guy?
4: Exactly. I'm with you. And I'm with you. And I don't want anybody else. Now, I got to tell you something else. Said last night
2: was one of the best times you ever had. Did you mean physically? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but I'm 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 talking about the whole night. I mean I I never had as much fun with the girl as I had with you my whole life. That's <laughs> true. I you, you like Elvis, you like you like Janice, you like uh, Kung Fu movies, you like the Partridge family. <laughs> Actually,
4: <Star Trek. laughs> I don't like the Partridge family. That was part of the act. I feel really goofy saying this after only knowing you one night. <laughs> Me being a cargo on, But I think I love
2: you. Wait a second. Look, I'm trying to keep this whole thing in perspective. You just said you love me. Now, if I say I love you and just throw caution to the wind and let the chips fall where the may, you're lying to me, I'm going to fucking die.
3: I'm not lying to you. And I swear from this moment forth, I'll never lie to you
0: again. And, yeah, man, love at first sight. I love these two characters so much. Um... And yeah, after this we are introduced to Drexel, who is played by Gary Oldman. He is having a meeting with Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Big Don, and also Lawrence Mason, who plays Floyd D., actually the first of two Floyd characters in this movie. Um, Yeah, it's basically them meeting in a hotel room, uh, delivering the briefcase uh, the MacGuffin of this movie I should add the briefcase full of cocaine uh, he ends up killing them Gary Ullman takes a shotgun and blows poor Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Lawrence Mason away after the three are having a conversation about um, going down on women uh, that's Tarantino for you that is Tarantino thick and thin um, yeah he said so he kills them And he takes off with the uh, drugs. And uh, yeah. After that. We have Clarence and Bama getting married. Uh, They come running out of the uh, courthouse together. Love this red suit. That uh, Clarence is rocking. Underneath of his uh, jacket. Uh, Then they go and get tattoos together. With each other's names. And this is where. She reveals. uh, uh, Drexel. uh, Being her pimp. And this this is what sets off the movie. This is kind of like, you see that Clarence can't shake this off after she tells it to him when she's getting tattooed, tatted up. Um, it's it's rocking his head and he can't get it out. And so they're back at their place um, and we see Bama watching Kung Fu and she's just making these Kung Fu sounds and it is the cutest. And then bam, you know, Clarence comes in And asks for Drexel's address. He says he wants to go get her stuff. She's not feeling it. But she eventually. uh, After some hesitation. And after some assurance from Clarence. That he's only going to get her stuff. And he'll be right back. She gives him the address. He takes off. I should also mention prior to this. He's actually in the bathroom. uh, Having the first of a couple conversations with Elvis. Played by Val Kilmer. Who we never see once we just see him, like a blurry sil- silhouette of him in the background. Um, and he's kind of the voice in Clarence's head. And um, he's all for going and killing him. He said that he's just this beat-down scumbag that no one's going to miss. Uh, so this is the scene where Clarence goes to Drexel to get Bama's things. Uh, he <laughs> There's so much to take in from this scene. First off, it's Gary Ullman playing Drexel, who is a white man thinking he's black. He's got this milky eye. Um, every other word that comes out of his mouth is a racial slur. Um, this dude is scum. And eventually, after provoking Clarence, Clarence give like he mentions that he's got his eyes set on set on him the whole time, but he's not watching the uh, set of titties on the TV screen. Clarence says he's standing him because he doesn't like him. He's not watching the movie because he'd seen it seven years ago. It's the Mac with Richard Pryor. Um and then they get into it. These two fight. Uh they have a it's it's basically it's a one sided fight. It's Drexel just beating the ever loving piss out of poor Clarence. <laughs> um <clears throat> and he's just um t- to begin with, Bama. Allowing Clarence to visit Drexel normally wouldn't fly with me, but since she's so new to this whole sort of thing, it makes sense. Um, And, you know, getting back to Slater and his calm collectiveness here in this scene where he meets Drexel. Um, it's, it's a badass. It's badass. It really is. Uh, he must have thought it was White Boy Day. It ain't White Boy Day, is it? Nah, it ain't white boy day. It's a famous line from that scene. So, yeah, he's on the ground, beat the shit. Um, talking about Clarence, Drexel sends his bodyguard to go get Bama, gives, uh, gives him Clarence's ID, which more on that in a minute. And when he's not looking, Clarence pulls out a revolver that he brought with him and shoots him square in the dick, and then shoots the bodyguard dead. Yells at the women around the room to go get Bama's stuff for him, which they go panically do. Uh, He tells Drexel to open up his eyes, and then he starts mocking him. Not very long. He mocks him for like a few seconds before just shooting him square dead in the face like numerous times, like four or five times, just emptying this damn gun into his head. (laughs)
1: Well, well, well. Look at what we got here. Clarence Horley? (laughs) It sounds almost like a name. I don't know where you live. 4900 160th Street, Apartment 48. And I make a million dollar bet that Alabama's at the same address. Marty? Take the car, go get her. Bring a dumbass back here. I think I keep a boy here entertained. What's Where's my <laughs> hey, what's hey, Marty, what the fuck are you doing? I'm to find my jack. What the fuck in you hey. You! Get a bag and put an Alabama's things in it. We get fucking shot, get a bag You put out a bag with things in it. I just did you the biggest fucking favor of your life. Open your eyes. I said, open your fucking eyes!
2: You thought it was pretty fucking funny, didn't you, huh? Oh, fuck you!
1: Fuck you, you piece of shit!
0: It is a satisfying death, I have to say, because Drexel is the scum of the earth. He is a real... Scumbag piece of shit. So yeah, he comes back with big Kahuna burger, a staple of Tarantino, and he says he says it's the tastiest burger he's ever had because he's just never been so hungry before. And we start to think Bama is gonna get pissed off about what happened, but then she removes his sunglasses and sees that it is just his black eye and his shiner. And she says, it's the most romantic thing anyone's ever done for her. And uh, yeah, so they take off and they go to Dennis Hopper, who plays his father, who is a security guard who has ties to the police force because he was, in fact, a police officer. Um, Dennis Hopper here, you know, he's just, it's great seeing Dennis Hopper. It really is. Uh, the Clarence sends Bama to go get them beer at eight o'clock in the morning, which, okay, I didn't know that was a thing, uh, but apparently it is, um, and they catch up and he tells, uh, dad, his dad that he might be in trouble, explains what had happened, dad's not particularly happy about the news, but he does it anyway, he helps him out and reveals that, no one's after them that the cops think it was a rival thing, uh, gang-related. Uh, Blue Lou is the name of the big-time uh, drug dealer in town who we eventually find out that the cocaine came from. Um, so, feeling Assurance, Bama, and Clarence take off to California. They're going to stay at their friend Dick Ritchie's, which I still can't believe after almost 30 years of seeing this movie that that's a real name of a character um, he gives his father the address to Dick Ritchie so that he can contact him we all know where this is heading so they leave um, prior to them taking off Bama gives Hopper a very in-depth kiss who, to which he responds she does taste like a peach and uh, yeah, they take off and then we see Dennis Hopper come back uh, about a day later and he gets knocked out. He And then this is the uh, big Sicilian scene. Even if you've never seen this movie before, again, why are you listening? Stop it now, go listen, come back. But everyone knows this scene. This is probably the scene that this film is known for is the big Sicilian scene involving Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper and it's really an intense scene. It is such an intense scene because Vincenzo Cacati works for Blue Low, the man clan stole from. He slow rolls the hell out of his words in this sequence. In a sense, it's more intense than the torture itself that's about to come on poor Dennis Hopper here. Um one time offer Clifford should have took. Clifford is Dennis Hopper's character. Uh he should have taken the offer. Um, but no, he he's he loves his boy and he doesn't give him up. Uh he ends up torturing him. Uh, it's it's the most intense scene I've ever seen. Like I said, you know Hopper's a dead man. And as does he. It's just a matter of when it occurs. And it happens after he starts insulting Sicilians. I'm not going to go into what he says because we all know what he says. But yeah, it's probably the key scene of this film. Um, So yeah, you know how it ends. Poor Dennis Hopper gets shot the shit in the head a uh, pretty intense first shot too I n- never noticed that before watching it last night like the impact it's crazy um and yeah it, this the Sicilian monologue it's up there is one of the best in film history the way he ends it in such a threatening manner it's just fucking intense uh and that's yeah that's that's what happens in this scene you know the scene I know the scene So yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that the opera piece heard during the scene is uh, Lachme from Leo de Libres." It is also used in The Hunger, 10 years prior, which is uh, Tony Scott's debut film. It is a very underrated, overlooked vampire movie starring David Bowie and Susan Sarandon. And one of my favorite vampire films of the 80s, definitely check that out um, might even cover it one day, so, <clears throat> and I love that line, I haven't killed anybody since 1984, what a year, the year yours truly was born, uh, and then the henchman who finds the address right there in the refrigerator door, it's like, it's a nice plot device, <laughs> and then, yeah, we see Clarence and Bama, um, uh, they pull up at a payphone and they give Dick Ritchie a phone call to let the man know that they are on their way um, it's a pretty wild scene afterwards Clarence and uh, Bama have a nice little sexual affair in the phone booth while Dick Ritchie's on the shitter <laughs> this is going on um, it's also worth mentioning that we actually met, we met Dick Ritchie in a scene prior when we see him audition for um, TJ Hooker <laughs> in a pretty funny scene. Um, so yeah, the Clarence and Bama get to Dick and Floyd's and they take Dick to their room at the Safari Inn uh, to reveal their bag of Coke. And they're trying to explain that it's too much for them to push and that they don't know anyone the way he might because he's in California. He's trying to get in with the Hollywood connection because he is a up-and-coming actor as we saw from the tj hooker audition and yeah he sets it up he sets up a meeting with uh bronson Pinchot's elliot uh they all go to six flags magic mountain and they are on the roller coaster there called the viper and it is a funny scene with clarence and elliot going on the ride together and going up the lift hill uh, talking, doing the deal. It's pretty smart, actually. I'm not going to lie, uh, doing this conversational roller coaster. Um, he tells him that he has a friend in the department who got access to the evidence room and wants to make some quick money, and he trusts Clarence since they've been childhood best friends. Um, so this leads to Elliot contacting. His guy Lee, who is a big time Hollywood uh, director producer, and Lee's questioning Elliot why he's calling him on his cell phone on a Sunday, and this guy Lee is crazy. It's played. He's played by um, Saul Rubinek, uh, total Joel Silver ripoff. Not ripoff, but it's, the the gag here is he's trying. He's playing Joel Silver. He's got the look. He's got you know the act. He's got the coke, that's all Joel Silver. Uh, um, allegedly, allegedly, trying not, to, not, not trying to get sued here, my first episode, but allegedly into coke. Um, we see this funny thing here where this driver cuts Lee off and then gives him the finger and then Lee yells at him, don't give me the finger, I'll have you fucking killed. And it's pretty funny stuff. Um, th- this conversation, and then Clarence gets on the phone and is talking to Lee himself and this conversation between them two, with all the movie references, is just so incredible. It's definitely a Tarantino script. He's, he's, he
2: said that if I didn't get you on the phone that he's using you want to do... Hello, Lee. It's Clarence. Last we speak. Now, first of all, Lee, I want to tell you I'm a really big fan of yours. That's why I want to open Dr. Zhivago in L.A. and I need you and your abilities to distribute. Uh,
5: Clarence. Uh, I don't know, Clarence. Dr. Zhivago's a pretty big movie, you know? Biggest, biggest movie you've ever dealt with, Lee. We're talking a lot of film here. A man would have to be an
2: idiot not to be a little bit cautious about a movie like that. And Lee, you are no
5: idiot. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm not interested, Clarence. It's just that being a distributor, it's not what I'm all about. I'm a movie producer, you know? I am on this earth to make good movies. Nothing more and nothing, well, maybe less sometimes. Hey! Choose a fucking lane! No, not you. Just some idiot. Don't give me the finger! I'll fucking have you killed! Bottom line is, I am not paramount, you know what I'm saying? I, I got a select few distributors I deal with, I buy their little movies, and I accomplish what I want to accomplish, and I get the fuck out of there. Very business-like and very easy, and very little risk, Clarence. Lee,
2: we're talking Dr. Shabako here. This will be packing them in for a year and a half.
5: Two years, that is two years, you're not going to have to deal with anybody else's movie but mine, all right? Nobody's but yours. Ah, uh-huh. well, uh, what is the rush
2: here? Yeah. I just want to be able to announce steal a deal all right? If I had time for a courtship, Lee, I would. I'd take you out, I'd hold your hand, I'd kiss your cheek at the door. But I'm not in that position. I need to know right now if you and I are in bed together or not. If you want my movie, Lee, you're going to have to come to terms with your fear and desire.
5: Uh Uh-huh. Fear and desire, huh, Clarence? Don't you know that my films have grossed more than 2.8 billion, Clarence? Let me talk to Elliot. Want to talk to Elliot? Let me talk to Elliot. Elliot, he wants to talk to you. Ali. Elliot, where do you know this guy from? He's a he's a friend of uh Dick's, Who the
1: fucking member? You 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 want me to suck his dick? Who the fuck is Dick? Oh, who the fuck is Dick? A yeah. uh, Dick is my he's my friend. He's in my acting class. You told him to
5: Uh is he any good? Is he talented? Or... Really? Yeah, and how does Dick know this guy? They, 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 grew up together okay uh wednesday at the hotel three o'clock bring the whole fucking cast all right
0: and elliot don't call me here anymore especially not on sunday all right and then we got james gandolfini who plays a character virgil he shows up uh to floyd's uh played by brad pitt who's just i'm convinced brad pitt was legitimately stone in the making of this movie because if he wasn't the man is definitely one hell of a great stoned actor. Really is. He's very convincing. Um, but I, I'm leaning towards the former. I'm pretty sure the man was actually baked. Had to have been. Just had to have been. Um, the funny thing. He tells, Floyd tells uh, Virgil where they are. The safari motel. Safarian motel. He tells him. And then he... Um, Ask him if he wants to come in and wait. And he says, nah, I might, I might be back though. And then when he leaves, we get this funny line from Brad Pitt. And he says, don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. And then we get the Virgil Bama scene. Which I'm not really going to get too much into. Because it is a very hard scene to even watch. Um, it It's just Patricia Arquette in this scene oh my fucking god like the way she comes in and she's so calm like he's just sitting there she walks in the room and and as soon as she walks in you see Gandolfini sitting in the chair with the shotgun and he's just holding it like he's being patient and she comes in right, off, right away instead of panicking instead of crying she knows what's going on but she tries to be smart about it she says she tries to tell him that that he must have the wrong room that her name is Sadie and her husband's a football player who's at practice Um, and then when he asks her where the coke is she plays dumb and says we don't have any coke but there's a pepsi in the fridge and um, he gets he he basically stands up and asks her to take off her glasses because it's worth mentioning she's wearing sunglasses in the scene and he takes them off and when he takes it off you see her like her actual eyes and she's the way she's tearing up and tears start to fall because she knows she's screwed and he says that she's a very beautiful girl and then out of nowhere just knocks her out one punch knocks her down and then when he does that I've always noticed this look this particular look that Gandolfini gives he like kind of looks up after he punches her like it felt good like he took pleasure in it it's sickening it's just something I've always noticed Um, and then just the beautiful insanity of the entire scene is so fucking amazing. Zimmer's score, it adds so much to it on top. Like, it's so good. Gandolfini, talking about the tower shooter and how he picked people off, he's just a fucked up guy. He really is. Um... And then just Arquette, too. The way she screams, oh, God, when he says no more Mr. Nice Guy, it's frightening. It is fucking frightening. And then we see Arquette just watching her go through everything and then put up all the fight in the world makes the moment she kills him so much more satisfying. Um, And she does so by essentially dowsing him with aftershave and then takes a lighter and hairspray. And flamethrows his head. So he runs out of the room on fire. And then she takes, like, her corkscrew and starts stabbing him. And then she grabs his shotgun and just starts shooting him. Just shooting him and blowing him away. And then she's just beating his dead body. And then Clarence comes in and grabs her. And just watching, like... just I, I'm literally in tears at the end of this scene watching it as he's escaping with her and apologizing that he's so fucking sorry for leaving her there for that to happen like seriously watching this again last night like I was choked up like it was really emotional watching that shit it really got to me and then we see Elliot getting pulled over after um he's getting a blow job from this girl and he gets pulled over and he's freaking out because he's got coke on him he wants her to put it in her dress or whatever and hide it for him and she's like, No, I want no part of this. I'm not hiding it. And then he calls her a name and she like she's like, Would you fucking call me? And she like hits him hits the bag of Coke and it goes all over the dude's fucking face as the cop shows up. It's a funny scene. This leads to Elliot being double teened by Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn. They're both ridiculing and insulting him into a deal. Dude breaks so easily. By the way, Bronson Pinchot is such a pussy in this movie. <clears throat> um, yeah, Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn—it's worth mentioning—they're they're two uh, detectives. Uh, they want to get—they the, want this bus more than anything in the world together. Um, so, like I said, they ridicule him into a deal that he makes, and they take the information. They take the news to their captain Ed Louder, and he says that they will wear a wire. So. He goes through, authorizes the bust, and uh, yeah, we're just starting to set the wheels in motion for this final act, this big end scene. That's just, we're getting ready for it. We see Clarence tending to Bama on an old couch by the airport runway. Uh, They're talking about where they're going to go with their soon-to-be money, and he's just tending to her, again, being apologetic and whatnot. Uh, and then on the way to the door, on the way out the door to the Beverly Ambassador for the big deal, uh, Dick Ritchie gets a phone call saying that he got the part for the TJ Hooker role we saw him audition for earlier. So that was pretty cool. So that's pretty neat. Uh, and then Blue Lou's Men, uh, they're all getting ready as well as Elliot and Dimes and Nicholson. They're all getting prepped for this big ambush deal. That's going to happen in his final act. Um, Like I said, the wheels are in motion. We see uh, blue lose men, including a very young Kevin Corrigan, and everyone getting prepped for the big ambush that's about to happen. Um, And then we also see the Sicilians. They're visiting Floyd, who is baked in this scene. Uh, He asks them if they want to hit the bong. One guy cocks his shotgun, and he goes, oh, (laughs) it's a funny scene. Um... And then yeah, man, they go there. They go up to the deal. Clarence meets up with Elliot and Bama and Dick. They're all there, and they're all going up to Lee's room to make the deal. And on the way up the elevator, Clarence hits the emergency stop, and he pulls a gun on Elliot. And he tells him he thinks he's stupid. And he they are What's really walking into? Who all's up there? I'm going to kill you right now if you don't tell me. And he's crying. He's about to break. He's got Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn on the um, on a two-way saying act motherfucker you're an actor you know he's not gonna shoot you Chris Penn's like he's not gonna shoot him and then he's like he's gonna shoot him (laughs) and then he's just saying shit like I wish someone would come down to my rescue and everything would be all right he starts breaking into a panic and he starts crying but uh Clarence eventually puts his gun down and says he's sorry he just had to be sure um and that's when we get Tom Sizemore saying oh man I love this Clarence kid he's crazy And then uh, the meeting happens uh, up in the room. Um, Coming home in a body bag, dailies are, or I'm sorry, coming home in a body bag, two dailies are being shown on this big screen. We get Elliot and we get Clarence uh, having a confrontation with Lee's guards because Clarence is packing. But Lee's fine with it. He tells him not to be, you know, it's fine. And, you know, he starts talking about how much he loved this movie, coming home in a body bag, and then he starts hyping. Like, it's, it's a lot of back and forth, really, with music. With, with a lot of back and forth, by the way, with movies. Um, Clarence's big pitch to get Lee to buy might come off as a sign of desperation. And it is. But it's also convincing, uh Clarence saying that he bullshitted his best friend is the final go ahead. That's that's what Lee that's all Lee had to say. Lee's like, you know, if your friend can't push it and he's a cop, how's he gonna trust you? And then he says he bullshitted him and then that makes him crack up and he's like, oh, I love this guy and he's like, I'm gonna make it happen. You know, they make the deal happen after that. And I love this little thing with Lee. He asks Dick, Why are you here? <laughs> And then uh, I noticed one of the gunmen played. Uh, his name is Boris, and he's played by Eric Allen Kramer, who was Little John in Robin Hood: Men in Tights. He was also in American Wedding, and he was also on the kids show from Disney, Good Luck Charlie. He played the father. Um, just an observation. And then this guns go off. Elliot reveals that you know he. Everyone comes in. They all make... After the the deal happens, the cops bust in. The Sicilians bust in. Blue lose men. Everyone busts in right now in this moment. And everyone... It's like a Mexican standoff. And Elliot is seen asking the detectives if he can go now that he did his job. And they, all, they tell him to wait. And then Lee sees all this happen. And... He goes off on Elliot.
1: Put him down, motherfucker! Put him down! Officer Dimes. What?
5: Officer (laughs) Dimes?
1: Officer Dimes? What? Um, this has nothing to do with me anymore, right? Okay. So I'm just gonna leave, and you guys just settle this by yourselves, all right?
5: Just shut up and stay the fuck put, Elliot.
1: How do you know his name?
5: Why the fuck did he know your name? You little piece of shit! You can forget about acting for the next 20 years! Your fucking career is over! Take your fucking SAG card and burn it! You little cocksucker! I treated you like a son! You fucking stabbed
1: me in the heart! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you!
0: I, I have always enjoyed this scene, although I do feel he's pushing it overboard a little bit much, but hey one-in-a-room, right? And it ends with, he hits him, and that's all it takes for guns to start going off. And everyone is getting shot to shit. It's worth mentioning again that Clarence, meanwhile, is in the bathroom having another conversation with Elvis, and when he comes out, he ends up getting struck in the head while I bought it. And that's where the endings of this film change. And every cut that we see... It is him surviving. Now, in the original script, this is where Clarence dies. He checks out with this bullet, but not so much here. Um, We end up, after everyone is dead, for the most part, except for a couple stragglers who got away, we see Chris Penn walk over. This is one thing I noticed watching it. In the theatrical version, Chris Penn is killed by a dying Paul Ben Victor who was from The Wire. He was part of the Greek. He was the, the Greek's like number two on The Wire, this guy. Um, and he was also in House Houseguest with Sinbad and Phil Hartman. <laughs> and um, he's the one who kills him before he dies. But in the director's cut, the version that I'm familiar with, it's actually Bama who kills him who's just pissed off because she thinks Clarence is dead or he's dying and she grabs a gun and kills Chris Penn shoots him twice in the side underneath of his bullproof with a vest. Something that I noticed last night while rewatching it doesn't add or take from the film. It's just a stray observation. That is all. And they get away. They, they, they go together. They drive off to the beach. Dick Ritchie, he doesn't die. He runs away. Um, the good people get away, the bad people die, more or less. Um, and then we get this this uh, epilogue here that closes out the film with Clarence Bama and their newborn newborn son. Clarence is rocking an eye patch, um, and Hans Zimmerman his score again, during this final moment that brings the movie home. It is so fucking beautiful. I love it so much.
3: I made the chaos of that day when all I could hear was the thunder of gunshots and all I could smell was the violence in the air. I look back and am amazed that my thoughts were so clear and true. That three words went through my mind endlessly, repeating themselves like a broken record. You're so cool, you're so cool, you're so cool. And sometimes Clarence asked me what I would have done if he had died, if that bullet had been two inches more to the left. To this, I always smile, as if I'm not going to satisfy him with the response. But I always do. I tell him of how I would want to die, that the anguish and the want of death would fade like the stars at dawn, and that things would be much as they are now, perhaps. Except maybe I wouldn't have named our son Elvis.
0: All right, let's take a look at box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit
1: 250,000 American dollars.
0: You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. So true romance, opening weekend box office was 4 million domestic going on to gross 13.1 million worldwide on a 12.5 million dollar budget. So yeah, this movie didn't really wasn't a home run for Warner Brothers, but I'm sure in the end after years of re-releases and Blu-ray sales and I'm I'm sure there's some other deals struck in in the middle somewhere this movie made out just fine. It, it wasn't. It surely wasn't a movie that lost money in the end. In the end, there's no doubt in my mind, True Romance made and continues to make a pretty penny for uh, Morgan Creek, who I believe is the uh, primary company behind this movie now. It's no longer in the hands of Warner Brothers, I don't think, at least. I could be wrong. Um, don't at me if I am. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, that's that. So let's talk about the crew behind this movie. Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? Who are they? So the film was directed by Tony Scott, who we know as the late little brother of big-time director Ridley Scott, who directed of movies as Alien and Gladiator and... He's directed a whole slew of films over the last 30, 40 years. So Tony Scott, like I said earlier, got into the business in the mid-80s with The Hunger, and then he went on to... to went on... To, kind of shot up pretty quickly. Not a, it Wasn't even a few years later he was doing Top Gun, as well as Beverly Hills Cop 2, both films for Paramount Pictures. And then he did The, the Last Boy Scout, this... Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, another one of my favorites, Man on Fire, another one of my favorites. Deja vu, not one of my favorites, and his final film, Unstoppable, which eh, it's not bad. It's fine. What he does here, his direction, I'm I'm glad Tony Scott was behind this movie because I love his style. He doesn't go too overboard in this movie with the typical Tony Scott way. He's got this natural orange filter in a lot of his movies. A lot of his more recent movies um, had a lot of quick-paced editing that, thank God, this movie doesn't suffer from. Um, And yeah, I I think he did a hell of a job. He's one of the primary components behind this movie. He's one of the main reasons why it works so well. And um, I'm happy he did it. I really am. Uh, it was produced by Samuel Hadida, Steve Perry, and Bill Unger. Written for the screen by Quentin Tarantino. I already talked about that. Music by Hans Zimmer. And let me tell you, this Hans Zimmer score. Now, this was one of Hans's earlier movies. Um, of course, you know, he had success in the 80s but it wasn't until the late 80s with Rain Man that he broke out more. And then Scott's brother, Ridley Scott's movie, uh, he did Driving Miss Daisy, which I am just now found that out. Did Days of Thunder from Tony Scott. He did a lot of movies for both Ridley and Tony and everyone, for that matter. And more recently, he continues to do big-time scores for... Christopher Nolan movies and he did uh he just more recently did Wonder Woman 1984. He'll be doing Top Gun sequel later on this year. He'll be doing the Space Jam sequel this year. He'll be doing Dune this year. He's got a lot on his plate still. He's still Hans Zimmer. I'd argue if not the biggest one of the top three biggest movie composers of our era currently. Um Cinematography by Jeffrey L. Kimball, who you might not know the guy. He's got a very hit-or-miss career. Uh, He did The majority of his work was with Tony Scott and his earlier movies, like his 80s films, like I mentioned, Revenge, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Top Gun. And then he kind of stopped after this movie. And then he's done other films... Like, his last big movie was The Expendables 11 years ago. He hasn't really done much since. And even in between this and The Expendables, I mean, he did Stigmata, Wild Things, Mission Impossible 2, Star Trek Nemesis, Paycheck, Four Christmases, a lot of random stuff that the man shot. Uh, It was edited by Michael Tronic and Christian Wagner. Now, this is interesting because Michael Tronic more or less edited everything that tony scott did up until this movie and then christian wagner did everything from this movie onward it's kind of like a passing of the baton with this movie between the two it's kind of interesting that i noticed uh while doing my research and uh yeah that'll wrap up the crew for this episode and now, this is a segment I'm going to be calling, You're Gonna Go Far Kid.
1: You ain't going to believe this, Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching. Every day was like a privilege.
0: In this segment, I'm talking about notable up-and-comers and first-time roles, and in this movie, we have a few. Uh, first and foremost, we have Brad Pitt, as well as James Gandolfini, and finally Michael Mac- Rappaport. Ma- the three of them, The the now none of these three were introduced in this movie, but Michael Rappaport was probably the freshest of the three. Uh, Brad Pitt had been doing roles since the late 80s, so he had been around for about five years or so. Gandolfini was just getting into the business, and Michael Rappaport was really fresh. Like he had like one or two credits prior to this one, but then for all three of them, like they took off. Not as long as others, but Brad Pitt is still one of the biggest A-list stars to this day. Uh, James Gandolfini, had he not passed away seven years ago, unfortunately. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind he'd be one of the biggest actors today. And Michael Rappaport, even though he's not one of the biggest actors, still, he is very he's a guy with a reputation. He is a very relevant person, uh, especially if you follow him on social media. Um, he's kind of wild. He's a wild man. Um, but I love Michael Rappaport. I follow him on Instagram, and uh, he's got some funny bits on there. He really does. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a really funny guy. Um, so yeah, we, we, clearly we know where those three go. And, uh, yeah, started out with this, more or less. All right, so biggest takeaways.
3: Uh, everything that guy just says is bullshit.
0: So my biggest takeaways from this movie were, first, all of this could have been avoided if Clarence just stayed the fuck home with his hot wife instead of going out to see Drexel and getting her stuff (laughs) simple as that and had he if not stayed home he could have been more protective of his ID he could have been more alert but obviously there's nerves first time offense he's never killed someone before you know and we know this simply from the way he's acting he's playing it off calm and collective and cool but we know that he's scared shitless. Um, but that's Clarence, man. That's Clarence. Uh, also, takeaway: this is the ultimate movie fan's movie. And if I haven't made that any more clear throughout this episode, let me make it known one more time. Written by Tarantino, a man who we know... Is a huge. There's probably not a bigger fan of film in the film industry than Quentin Tarantino. I, I mean it. He always has been, always is, always will be. And yeah, that's it's it's no different here. This is my all-time favorite love story. I think I mentioned that before when I was talking about uh, Clarence and Bama meeting up. But if I didn't, let me make it be known that this is my all-time favorite love story. And finally, I did say this before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to reiterate this. Less is more with this cast. I mean, let's go down it. Dennis Hopper, two scenes. Val Kilmer, two scenes. Gary Oldman, two scenes. Brad Pitt, three scenes. Minor scenes. Christopher Walken, one scene. Sam Jackson, one scene. Saul Rubinek, two scenes. You, you see the pattern here? Less is more. There's a lot of people in this movie, yes, but they're all in little pieces throughout. You know, sprinkled out. There's, there's they're perfectly sprinkled throughout. These big time players. Um. And so, yeah, that's that's my biggest takeaways from True Romance. Is it safe? Is it safe?
1: Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. so safe you wouldn't believe it. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Be careful.
0: Here at the Film Effect Podcast, we care about our listeners, so this category is for you guys. Any triggering material will be revealed here. So, for example, this movie, female victims of physical abuse might have a tough time getting through this moment between Bama and Virgil. Um, It is a very triggering scene. It is a very hard scene. Even me, someone who's never experienced this kind of abuse, and I can only imagine how it feels. It's hard for me to watch. Yes, it does end with the right person coming out on top. I understand the message of the scene. I understand the significance of it. But it is still triggering material if you have been someone who has suffered from physical, even any sort of abuse, but primarily physical um it might be a tough time, it might be a tough watch, uh, that moment and it goes on, it plays along for about 10 minutes, but, and it ends right, with the right way but it still doesn't make it any easier to watch um, so yeah, that that's what this category is about, um and that's the thing that, for this movie um, that's my, is it safe for this episode, so um And there'll be many more. Like I said, these categories will be on every episode from here on out. So get used to them. And speaking of categories, I got two more left. The first of two is called The Last Word. And this is where I give you guys my final thoughts of the movie.
3: All right, let me break it down to you right quick.
0: If I haven't made it any more clear, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. This is a movie that means so much to me because like I said it is a movie fans movie it is my favorite love story I love the way everyone basically everything I've been talking about throughout this episode is why I love this movie and why it is in my opinion one of the best movies ever Um, bold statement but an honest statement personally I feel it's one of the best movies ever Um, But everyone's different. That's why a film is subjective because everybody has a different opinion and I love it. But for me, my opinion, this is up there as the best of the best. Um, Strong performances across the board. No no one pussyfoots. No one shows like they don't give a shit. Everyone is there to do a job. And they do it so well, especially the key characters Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. I can't think of any uh, anyone else playing these two Bama and and uh, Clarence. I, I can't. I really cannot. Um, Patricia Arquette is just so amazing. She's one of my favorite actresses. It's a damn shame it took so long for her to get her recognition as the Academy Award winner for her performance in Boyhood, which, Boyhood's a great movie. But I I do believe there's an argument for her at least being recognized in this movie back in 93 in a supporting role. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and sulk over something that happened 27 28 years ago whatever or or, or rather didn't happen <laughs> um no i'm not uh and yeah it's it is it's it's up there it's i love it final category sponsored by
1: today's video is sponsored by
0: raid shadow legends
1: nope
4: nope nope just kidding
0: this is the main category at the end of every episode Picking a company, brand, or product to sponsor, quote-unquote, the movie. It's fun. I want to have fun with the category, and this is my pick to have fun. Um, that being said, this movie is sponsored by Sonny Chiba's Street Fighter Trilogy. Wonderful. too can meet a lovely woman who dumps popcorn all over you to set off a whole ring of events. Alright guys, all that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval and that'll bring things home for this show. One down, many more to follow. Next week I'll be back with the new Warner Brothers film, The Little Things, that's on HBO Max. Currently one there for the next 28 days, I want to say. Um, I Like I said before the start of the show, I'm going to be sitting down and watching it after I wrap up this recording. And uh, I'm going to be talking about it next week. I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. But from a handful of people whose opinions I hold dear, they definitely told me, wow. This is this movie's definitely like it's. I've heard one person compare it to Seven, and that was a serious comparison, by the way. So, yeah, next week I'm gonna be covering the little things. Um, got a Facebook, uh, the the Film Effect Podcast, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, all that. Still a work in progress. Uh, I have an email. The Film Effect Podcast at Gmail.com. So, uh, write me there. And, um, yeah, this is the first of many, many episodes. And also, kind of interactive, too. If you want to be on the show, send me an email, The Film Effect Podcast at Gmail.com, because I want to have different co hosts. I want to have fun with this. And if you want to be a part of this, then I would love to have you a part of it. Um, So, yeah, other than that, I hope everyone had a fun time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you come back next week and uh, other weeks to follow. Uh, Again, my name is Ed, and this has been the Film Effect Podcast. We'll see you next week. (laughs)